I trained at Harrods. And I was pretty good at what I did, not that great. There were some really talented people who worked with me and I really wasn't as good as them and I was very aware that I wasn't as good as them. But I was okay, you know, I got by. I got offered a promotion to look after the, what were then called the weigh-in windows. That was the fashion bit, the groovy fashion bit. And I remember thinking, I can't do that. I've never managed a budget. I've never managed people. And I'm really good at creative ideas, but I can't do that. And so I said no. And I left and I started doing freelance work and bombing around the West End and Chelsea at the time in my little open sports car. And then one day, my boyfriend, who became my husband, said to me, you really have to decide whether you want a proper career or not and go into management. And the word just put a little chill in my heart. And then a job came up that he saw in the Evening Standard. And it was Display Manager Topshop, a team of five people and a budget. And he said, go for it. And I did, thinking, I'm not going to get it, so I'll be okay. I've said no before, I'll say no again. And then I went for the interview, and I went for the second interview, and the third interview, where I kind of knew they were going to offer me the job. Except this time, I didn't say no. I said yes. And my little ticker beat like I can't tell you. And my stomach flipped over. And the months leading up to that job before I started, I hardly slept with the stress. Because I just didn't think I was good enough. But it was the best thing I did. Because that's how I grew and became the person I am today. By the way, I didn't lose being a complete nutcase and creative and being one of the team. I'll always be that, even am today and I'm nearly 60. It's Work Like a Woman with me, Mary Portis, and... Emily Bryce Perkins. And we are coming this week from... Oh. From your... Coming to... <laughs> We're in Mary's bedroom. And um, let me just set the scene. Abby shouted that out in the background. That we was my are. PA. There's four of us in my bedroom. Let's just we're all highlight on, that. We're all on the bed. Um, <laughs> producer and PA at the end. Mary Knight at the top. It Go makes on, a difference. Turn around, get the picture. This is just the way you have to work sometimes. Uh, all of us. Now we're all having a photo. Hi. Um, um, yeah, well, so we're, we're here. like that because I've not been well. You haven't been well. You've been poorly. So we've come to your home. And here we are, working remotely. I think this is what this is called. Yeah, transparently. <laughs> working flexibly. <laughs> no Emotionally, one's got any shoes on. Emotionally. Instinctively and with empathy. Because yeah. I've not been well. She's not been well. And you're learning your TED talk, aren't you? Oh, man. It's just like I've got this big head of fog. You know, when you get that head, head cold, head cold. And I have to learn the TED talk, uh, which is on the kindness economy. And my little brain is just like, I, I try and learn it and then I can't get the words out. I hope I'm going to be all right, Emily. Oh, you'll be fine. You'll be fine. You were an actress, weren't you, way back? Yeah, but I can't act my way through it when I can't remember the lines because my <laughs> no, head's just fucked up. that's true. The I'm thing sure is, you have to learn it off by heart. I didn't know that, yeah, you, you see. And I do lots of lectures, so I'm normally fine, but I have notes and then I go off piece and I don't worry how long I am on stage. But you have got to learn it off by heart and within a time. Yeah, newfound respect for anyone that's done a TED Talk. Yeah. I didn't realise that. I thought yeah. there'd be some notes or an auto cue. You wouldn't but have said no. yes to it on my behalf, would you, otherwise? I know I wouldn't have. <laughs> <laughs> no, I wouldn't. <laughs> Right, here's a fact which shocked me. 
White sounding names are 74% more likely to have success in job applications than people with an ethnic minority name. Oh, man. How bad is that? This reminded me, a friend of mine, Yoni, he's Jewish, years ago, 10 years ago, he was trying to get work and he found that when he changed his name from Yoni to Jonathan, he got accepted for the same job interviews that he was going for. And that was 10 years ago. Think about, you know, this is now. How is this happening? It's crazy. I mean, I, even in my book, when I, when I talked to work like a woman and looking at the statistics, how bad it is for mm. women. I mean, we go back years when, you know, writers like George Eliot had to put their name as a man yeah. rather than say, I am a woman. And for that, we are only talking about 19th century. It's ridiculous. Even in my book, a, a woman who was, was doing a book and then she sent out oh, her yeah. transcript and changed her name to a guy and she got 11 times more response, which is ridiculous. But one of the things I talk about is race and colour and people of ethnic minorities. It's 20 times worse than them and and yeah. uh, Jude Kelly talked about that didn't she white yeah, she feminism did. we have just got so much in this world to just to stop this and and I, I'm sure the prejudice is done with if you ask people that, and, and said to them do you know that you're prejudiced that, that that's your they would not think they are I know it's just the way that they have well just the social editing that it they've is. had through their lives that's it made is. them we did um we did some bias training at Portas with yeah. Creative Equals, which was great. And there's this other um there's a platform actually called the Other Box set up by Leia and Roshni and they help people understand their biases around this and kind of navigate if you are in a position of privilege, you know, they give some tips, which I thought were quite nice. And they say about, you know, diversifying your media consumption. That's really important. Like, don't read the same old shit. Yeah, because yeah, yeah, yeah. let's be honest, we're probably all, you know, a certain person's just reading The Guardian or a certain person's just reading yeah. The Times. Like, go out, look at other authors. If they're not from your race or background, yeah. make the effort to yeah. go and experience and understand. Also, that thing about pass the mic, which Jude Kelly does really well of that. If you've been asked to talk at something, do you know what? Maybe you bring someone else along with you. Give that other person an opportunity. Yeah, I, I love do that. that. I do that with love you, that. Bryce Perkins. <laughs> <laughs> been trying to declutter it for ages. Still coming. <laughs> you'll be giving birth. And if I'm going to talk, you'll go, can I just come? <laughs> do you know what? The baby kick kicking. Like, as oh, soon as we feel... started recording, the baby started kicking. Oh, I love that. That's the most exciting thing, it's having the baby exciting. kick. I used to love that. Oh, my God. It's just so exciting. The final point that um, these brilliant women say is um, it's about impact, not intention. Ah. And I love that. So, so it's not yeah. about the intention of what you're saying. It's the impact it has on that person. So just work out, you know, when you're talking to someone you know, ask them how they prefer to identify. That's something that we have to consider now and why not? It takes no effort on your part, mm. but it makes that person feel so much more comfortable. So, you know, if, they, if they've really struggled to get even in the door for an interview, make sure you're considering how they identify how they feel. I really love that. This week, our guest is Dame Inga Beale. So Inga was the first chief exec of Lloyds of London, um, the world's largest insurer. Um, she's a woman that um, she's quite surprising and she sort of didn't have a plan necessarily for her career and somehow ended up at the top. Um, and it was, a, it was a meeting of minds, wasn't it, Mary? Yeah, and I think she was surprising in the fact that, listen, come on, chief executive of Lloyds of London. And I was expecting one of those sort of slightly scary women, you know? Yeah, yeah. You know, the scary women in the suits, the power suits, and they just can 
they they talk in a different way. Yeah. It's like, you know, the Queen has RP, received pronunciation, isn't it? Like, yeah. We've been watching The Crown, how good is that? But we'll digress. <laughs> but these businesswomen, they talk in a way that just alienates and makes you feel like, what world are you in? I will never be in that world. And they use all these acronyms and KPIs, key performance indicators. Or they, you know, it's all, remember in the old days, it started with, I remember, touch base. I'd like to touch base with you. <laughs> You're not going to touch my base. <laughs> Get off my base. What base? First base? Second base. <laughs> anyway, Inga wasn't like that at all. No, was she, she wasn't. She didn't talk like that at all. No, she didn't. She was brilliant. Um, and I think if you're a younger woman listening to this, then you'll definitely learn about the power of saying yes, even though you're not that experienced. Even though Inga said no <laughs> at first. At first. And here she is, the lady herself, Dame Inga Beale. When I was had my really first big break in my career I was offered the role a role in the US to set up a new function and be part of the headquarters and you know really get exposure to the most senior people in the organization men men (laughs) actually no there were some women because this was GE so there were several women in fact my I was going to be reporting to a woman Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Tempting, then. But too. but for me to leave the comfort zone of something that I'd worked in for 19 years, that I felt was my entire life, and I thought, how can I go to the US and start this new function up? I'm, you know, I'm, I I might fail, but I actually had the courage to do it. Sell up, move off, have a new life. You know, so you've also got to have the courage to take those opportunities when they come. I agree that courage is the most important thing, and and, and actually, you know, having that. Self-esteem as well, I think. You know, that's a tough one. You know, so many young women today, today particularly with social media and all that you didn't want to go on. Imagine if you had to go on social media when you were starting out. Imagine the stress of that. This is really, really tough. And I think it's about us and having a responsibility to show there is another way and you can be another way and all those codes of what's beautiful and what's acceptable mm. and you know the media have a responsibility of that and you're starting we are starting to see those old tenets crumble and, we, and new ones are. developing the the thing is of course what's happening at the moment is you've got a lot of people hiring people who are different and now we've got the people who feel in these minority groups saying i don't want the token representation Mm. of me. Mm. Now, if I had said that when I was offered my promotion because I was a woman and they had my manager had to promote a woman, if I'd said, I don't want to be the token woman on your team, where would my career have gone? So I have a slightly different view about this because I think it has to start somewhere. No, I agree. So I would encourage people to actually be a bit more open and at least you are, you might be seeing someone who looks like you over there in that picture. Thank goodness we've got to that stage. And it can only, it will be the start of something that can change. But you went into an, in, an institution, and they are, it is a financial institution that you reached the top of, isn't it? I yes. mean, you went into that, so there must have been a huge part that you had to conform to. Well, I did, and I learned to do it later. When I think about when I was in the City of London, I wasn't in Lloyd's at that time, but I was on the opposite side of the street, and it was the most scary environment I never wanted to step foot in the building because it was so daunting that lift first of all I mean well, you go up in that bloody <laughs> lift and everybody can see you I've been up in that people shuttle up in this glass lift basically on the outside of the building which is something like a Wall Street where you expect some man in his underpants to be going yeah we've just done yeah. a great piece of business and of course there are lots of those lifts as well yeah, of course so, so lots of men in lots underpants men in no underpants, yeah. <laughs> but I did not want to go into that building in the 80s so when this incident happened in the office... Tell us the incident. Explain what happened then. Well, 
cricket mm. was going on, some championship in the West Indies, in the Caribbean. And we decided to have a host, uh, host a series of cocktail parties in the office, invite all of our brokers, so all of our producers. And most of them are men, and I was the only female underwriter out of 35 of us. So predominantly men at this, these, this series of parties. And the manager was married to a woman who worked for the Jamaican Tourist Board. And we decided to have a Caribbean feel. We had goat curry. Uh, we had red striped lager and things like that. And she brought from the Jamaican Tourist Board a bunch of posters to advertise Jamaica. Now, this was in the 80s, so the, the pictures were a woman in a bikini, bikini, a woman in a bikini with a wet T-shirt, a woman in a wet T-shirt, perhaps without a bikini. That was what the posters were. Now, in the 80s, at the time, I didn't really challenge it at the beginning. Same here. Yeah, you just you just mm. didn't think about mm. challenging. No, it was didn't. just what we grew up with. Yeah, mm? yeah. And then weeks and weeks after the cocktail parties had finished and the cricket was over, the posters were still up. And one Friday, I went to my boss and I said, I think I've been patient enough. I think you should take the posters down. And, of course, he was very apologetic and said, oh, Inga, of course. How could we have been so insensitive? I'll see to it. So I come in early on the Monday morning and I walk into the office and the posters are all down and I'm thrilled. And then I walk around the corner and my desk is wrapped up in the posters. So I walked out of the office. I turned around and walked out. And that was, that was it. it. How long ago is this? Was the 80s? That was 89. Have you got my note that I asked you? Have you got the printed? Ah, here we are. So can I read this to you? Mm. This might make you feel really depressed because that was 1989 oh. and we are now 2019. Yeah. So that's 30 years. 30 years. Oh, dear God. Right. Okay. This is a young girl, 23, who wrote to me, I've been working for one of the biggest international banks over the last couple of years, and I've been shocked at how behind the world of finances compared to the rest of society. Mm. A common example that springs to mind is the infamous cricket season. Over summer, men disappear to the cricket in large groups, leaving the women at the desk when they go and network with key clients and get drunk from 5pm onwards. When, and if asked why no women were invited, the most frequent answer is, oh, we didn't think that women would like to join, it's not their thing. The decision is made by men for women. There are numerous other examples, but I think cricket example sums it up quite well. Everyone knows it's going on, yet no one does a thing about it. Call me overly naive or optimistic, but I didn't think this kind of behaviour would still be happening in 2019. A change needs to happen, but until those at the top are actually ready for change, I'm sad to say I don't see that taking place any sooner. I'd write some more to you, but I've only had five hours sleep as I've been in the office from 6am till 11. Mm. That's, that's today. It, that is so sad. I mean, it's really sad to Did hear. you know that it's still like working like yes, that? Yes, yes. I'm aware of it. The thing is, of course, when you get more senior, you're not exposed to it yourself. Right? So you, you're not aware of it. So it's really important to keep in touch with the, the generation that's coming through. Um, How do you do really that when on. you're the chief exec? I mean, I, I have a team of just under 50 and it's quite difficult. I mean, I, mean, I sit ah. right in the middle of the office. But how do you do that? Well, I used to get reverse mentors. So I would have a reverse mentor for about six months each and we would go out to all the employees and say who would like to reverse mentor the CEO and actually I, 
That's pretty bloody scary, though, be honest. Well, Inga, if someone came to me at whatever age, 23, and said, would you like to come and reverse mentor Inga Beale? I'd go, are you having a laugh? Well, perhaps I managed to create a culture already that was very approachable because we had such a vast number of people who wanted to do it that we actually then had to do a selection, and that's why I then limited it to only six months each to give enough people exposure. So there were lots of people. They might have been 19 years old, 22 years old, 23 they were very, very keen to do this. So when you say reverse mentor, because this is a great idea, so what, what happens? They would come and they would mentor you yes. on what was happening at their level and what they think could make the business better. Yes, well, I would ask them questions about things. So just as, and the, the, issue, the slight issue is, if you're used to doing a lot of mentoring, you know, you're the older, the wiser, the more experienced person, you do all of this mentoring, uh, it's quite difficult to to take that hat off and then think of yourself as the mentee and ask the questions that you're interested in. But that's what you have to do, and that's what I would do. So I would ask them about something that we were going to communicate. Well, how best do you think we should communicate this? Or do you like, you know, where you're sitting? Or what should we do next year about, you know, improving how we advertise jobs? Anything like that. And we would just have open conversations and one of the things I learned was about how they perceive or how they want to get to know the CEO and other people. So I'd grown up in an environment where the CEO was somewhat removed and, you know, you had a certain status. But they said, no, we want to know you as a person. They said, you've got to be on Instagram. You've <laughs> got to use Snapchat. And I was thinking, oh, no, I don't use any social media. No, no, you've got to do it. We want to know you as an as an individual. We want to know you're human. So they gave me some wise words and we changed things, the wording we would use in how we were trying to attract talent and advertise jobs on LinkedIn or whatever. We, we got really helpful input and things such as how they get their news. I mean, I was shocked. We were obviously in the risk business in insurance, any natural catastrophe that happens in the world, it's it's concerning not only for the impact it's having on people and loss of life, which is tragic, but there's a cost to it. And I remember the Christchurch earthquakes in New Zealand and, and my reverse mentor at that time was a young guy from New Zealand. And I said, well, how did you get the news about what's going on? He said, on Facebook. And I, I was sort of shocked as to why you would get your news about a serious event through Facebook. I couldn't get my head around it. But it helped me understand how we had to think so differently about communicating with the new generation that was coming through. But what about, how, how, you know, what would you be saying to that young woman today if you knew that was going on in your industry? What, we are talking 30 years later mm. and this still is happening, with mm. this kind of male bastion of bonding where work's done, you know, the drinks. I mean, I, I talked about it in my book in the golf club and I thought, is this sounding dated? And then I are so many business and people no and it's those subtle biases that stop women getting to the top because they just don't feel this is their place to be yeah so we in insurance and i i haven't i mean i've worked all my life in insurance but in insurance we formed 11 nearly 12 years ago an insurance network for senior women we didn't know what we were really going to do and there'd been many failed attempts over the years to form these networks and we were all so skeptical because we said well what do we need them for you know but anyway we did this and now of course it's been so successful that we do 
we gather the women together in certain at certain different functions, different groups, all sorts of different things. We have all sorts of conversations, but fundamentally it empowers them and gives them the strength to challenge and learn about how to constructively challenge inappropriate behaviour. We have a voice now in insurance, a voice that we never had 10 years ago, 20 years ago. For the first five years, we were women talking to women, and then, of course, we realised we had to start inviting the men and have the conversations with the men, which is what we do. And we've launched all sorts of things for the insurance sector about, you know, behaviours and getting people to sign up and pledge that they will stamp out inappropriate behaviour. We've had all sorts of revelations about the lack of confidence to speak up. You know, the response from either senior leaders or HR, which really makes me angry when they say, look, please, you know, don't make a fuss about this. You know, we'll sort it out. And I can't I can't believe that that still goes on, but it does by some well, HR we've seen teams. It, we've seen it going on. We've seen it even in this sort of Me Too movement where we've known that this behaviour has gone on with hierarchical power. And these women and these young girls have gone to HR departments and they've just, we've been complicit. And often, often it's been women have been complicit in that which it is, is. Slightly we worrying. hear that a lot actually from a lot of the people that um the, the listeners that email in it's often women complaining about women largely mm. but let, let's have some bit more fun on that and um, <laughs> because i mean it, it's a tough old nut to crack and i think you know we need voices we need power from women like you who does talk out and say you know this is unacceptable and there's another way to do this and actually quite frankly those businesses are dinosaurs if they're still behaving like that because they, the future oh. isn't going to be this. It, it can't be this. No, but it, it the pace is too glacial. So when I started 37 years ago, there were women joining, and I know not necessarily where I was working, but there are were other women. And I look now at my level, so at the CEO level, and I go to a gathering of the largest insurers in the world, maybe, you know, 100 of us, all gathered, only CEOs, and five years ago, I was the only female sitting around that table. Mm-hmm. So my the pace of change is, is glacial. So why do you think that it's so low? I so, mean, well, it's, I mean, I think there are many things. Um, I don't absolutely don't know all the answers. I'm not an expert on this, but I know from what I've tried to do is it's got to be taken seriously at a corporate level. Yeah. But you've got to have it at all levels in the organisation, grassroots upwards. You have to be able to empower people to feel that they're supported enough to to call out bad behaviour. So what I'm saying is about these networks, which some people, even they poo-poo some of these networks. Now, I can tell you, we had one this week, just this week, we had a dinner. Some of the old old dears of the industry... um, (laughs) hosted a dinner for the younger generation of women and I can tell you that is just as essential today as it was 30 years ago because it gives them the confidence because they go oh is that how you dealt with that situation yes and it worked and they think oh it's possible to challenge and do things differently so I these networks whatever you want to call them to me they're absolutely vital 
And it me it doesn't matter whether you're in a women's network or whether you attach yourself to another kind of community or group. Get together with people who absolutely get what you're talking about and it can give you the strength to go back in and challenge things. I love things. that as an idea, the older women and the younger women. That sounds brilliant because you sort of, there's always that thing of there's only room for one woman and often there's only one senior woman who just won't retire or won't leave or whatever. But actually, if you treat it in a way where they're mentoring and you're partnering up that's i would i would definitely be up for that maybe i'm too much well, in the middle bit now i'm not young enough but <laughs> well i think the middle is every layer and i think this is this is the key thing that we have to do is that, that it's a bit like politics i don't think that change is going to come from central policy it's just not happening in the world so we have to do it from grassroots as well so i would say to the young girl who wrote in actually find other women who are feeling like this and start pushing and mm. making change there and i think with the middle management so mm. your age you know <laughs> and then the old birds like us as you put it, um, <laughs> who also are saying, you know, we're calling this out. And I think the people calling out in positions of power as well, it's very important because I, yeah. I like you, I think I got to the top on the board of Harvey Nicks by 31 because I was good at being alpha. I was good at that, you know, and we probably were, if we're honest. We were able to go, no, and, and kind of fight that fight and sort of take on the codes of alpha culture, whereas most women don't want to. That's why I think we see such a lack of women at the top. It is, it's quite frankly, a, a something that is exhausting not to fully be yourself within business. Mm -hmm. And you, I know I heard you talk about this at the Oxford Union, that when you are free to be who you are, it's when you totally connect mm -hmm. to an inner power that is so wonderful it that is. You, you fly in a way. You do, but it's. I think it's just so complex because society hasn't caught up yet. And I say that because I have been in recent years been told that I need to basically lean in more so in a we're board, against leaning in. Right. Watch this, lean out, lean back. This is yeah. what we're doing. We're leaning back. Michael, talk to me. Yeah. <laughs> no, because I think lean in. We're all talking Sheryl Sandberg's book. No, but what I'm saying is, and I, I'm not. I know I'm mentioning that because she made the the phrase famous. But and of course, this guy didn't use that word to me. But he said, Inga, you've got to be more stronger. You've got to be more um, almost dictatorial in the board meetings. You're the CEO. You must behave like that. And I said, but that's not how I behave. I'm not conforming to the behavior that you expect. So this is in the last few years that even though you were at the top, I was at the top, I was still told my behavior wasn't traditionally male enough. Yes. Now, we had a very interesting discussion about this because I pushed back and I said I didn't get here to behave just like some of the men around the table. I w I'm here because of what the way I've done things and we had a very interesting discussion so I adapted my behavior a little bit more but I still like to be incredibly inclusive and, and include other people around the table in the conversation who's to say that your way of doing it would not have been more productive and I suppose that's the breaking point that we need to go through and that's the thing that we have to say no I did it my way there's a song in that isn't it Wasn't yeah that a somewhere? I did it my way and not that way because the more we feed that the more it grows and the more it becomes a status quo mm. and the more that we have to buy into yeah. it. And the other thing is about this, what is sort of in, so much inbred in us, there's been quite a lot of studies around, so women who were going in for to speaking to venture capitalists because they want investment in their new idea, the questions that get asked of the men who go in and ask for the money are different to the questions that get asked of the women. So somebody, deep, you know, deep in our psyche, people are doing this because whether you're a VC 
made up of all men or there are some women in the room, the questioning is the same. They ask the men all the positive questions. Well, how are you going to manage? How are you going to scale up? How are you going to grow? They ask the women all the risk questions. How are you going to prevent this? So you go, when you're in this meeting, you go into this sort of downward spiral if you're the woman. But if you're the man, you get sort of taken up and up and up all the time. It's been studied. So there's something deep within our psyche, certainly in the cultures that that I've been working in a lot, you know, the sort of Anglo-Saxon work culture. Maybe it's different in other cultures. But there's something in our psyche that makes us treat different genders differently well of course there is i mean it's been going for t- how many thousands of years and i mean it's l- the, and we have to start to break this and we are slowly doing it but the only way to break it is to show other ways of mm-hmm. working and being and, and be show, successful and it. be successful yeah which is why when i did it in my agency and said right let's 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 do these values let's change these values because i even when i set up my business I constructed it in the alpha way that I knew business was. Let's look at the bottom line. Let's look at the three-year plan. And if someone's not up to it, yep, one, two, three, out the door. You know, I was probably the worst at that. But we changed it because it actually truthfully didn't sit with me as a humane, as a human being. I mean, this book could be called Work Like a Human Being or Not How to Work Like a Complete Arsehole or a Bully or this sort of system. Well, I'm intrigued. I am intrigued about this because I've heard several people now talking about this human side. Yes. Now, there are lots of really nasty, evil humans. Humane. There's humane, a knee on the end. Yeah. On the end. Oh, well, okay, maybe you're talking about humane. Work like a hu- humane person. But um, I think, because I've heard other people talk about human, bring your the human side to work. Well, it, it's quite different. We have to be very careful. No, because, I'm, very, I'm yeah. very aware of what the difference is. No, I can see there's a lot of bad humans. We could list them, couldn't we? Let's yes. be honest. And a lot of them are in power today, aren't they? Let's list them. And a lot <laughs> no, of them make a lot listing, of decisions about how we're all going to live. So I think for, for me, this was very much about actually connecting to values that I, as a woman held dear and actually I genuinely think are the powers as me as a woman and those powers that I have are not necessarily the powers that are identified in the boardroom yes that's right Right. so if we work with those which have strength because collaboration can have strength vulnerability can have strength the ability to say I'm finding this really difficult I'm actually finding this really painful or I'm getting very sad about this. I mean, I've written to clients and said that. Chief execs, I'm really sad about this. Mm. Now, I would not have done that when I was on the board of Harvey Nichols because that wouldn't have been acceptable. But I don't think I'd have got across the feeling Mm. and the emotion. And I think that opens up a much greater playing field. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And saying sorry when you've perhaps got something wrong. Yeah, quite often. That's very That's great tough. in politics. We hear that a lot, don't we? Well, not. yeah, but in business, it's it's not often done. And I remember some years ago starting a new job and I came in and it was there was a quite a difficult situation. There were all these complaints going on. And when I discovered what had happened, that actually we'd, we'd messed up, I said, we've got, to, we've got to say sorry. And of course, I looked around and all of these guys said, well, we can't say sorry. I've never said sorry. <laughs> but we did actually manage. I managed to get them, not necessarily to say the word sorry, but to go and admit that it was some mistake on our part. And that was that was um, important for me to get them to admit that because they didn't feel naturally able to do it. One of the things I thought was interesting about your career is that you talked about um, that you, you, you didn't ever have this big vision, this big passion. This is something that gets so pushed onto women or, or anybody when they start out in a career. You've got to have a passion. You've got to have a goal, you know. 
And um, I was listening to Elizabeth Gilbert talking the other day, and I really loved the way that she approached it, which is what happened to you, is that she said, you know, I never set those big goals out. I just sort of was curious. And when you're curious, you kind of turn a corner, don't you, and you follow something, and then something else comes from that. And I love that idea of curiosity rather than setting this. You know, you ever had an interview and they sit down and say, where do you see yourself in the next five years? And you think, I don't even know where I'm going to be tomorrow, in all yeah. honesty. And if we're more honest about that, that will help people actually follow their own rhythm. The natural it's rhythm, which is what well, happened with you, don't you think? And yeah, and you zigzag all over the place. Yeah, of course you do. And I mean, a lot of young people. Well, I think that it is different today if you're a young person going into the workplace. It was very different. I mean, jobs seem to be abundant in the eighties. Yeah, they you know, did. It's, they did. That's it's right. very different. Like, now. What would happen today if you hadn't gone to university? Do you think anyone le- leaving school today would get to the top of Lloyd's? Only. Well, yes, you you might because we've introduced apprenticeships now to good, get good, to get good. to eighteen year olds. So we so we have so there is some some change happening, but um, there there were a lot of opportunities. But a lot of people now, when they're starting out, they're so worried about that first job, mm. they think it's going to make or break their career, and they don't realise how much your career can wind and go in all sorts of places. And th- and maybe you even take a career break like I did, for whatever reason. I went off for a year backpacking on my own mm. around the world. There are all sorts of things that happen, but I wasn't. Well, there is luck, and I'm being in the right place at the right time. But there's also saying yes to those scary things that come along. And on top of all this, um, you were in a relationship with a woman. Was it when you were chief exec? So I, I've had sort of three phases. One phase when I started work, I, I was regarded myself as heterosexual. And I was thinking I was fighting in a man's world and that was my only sort of battle in life. Then I started to have relationships with women and I had one particular long-term relationship for 12 years and we got um, married and all the rest of it. And that was when I was doing lots of various jobs and moving countries and she moved with me every time but in secret. So then I was in the closet. How did you feel about that? Well, looking back now, I'm horrified but at the time there was a nervousness in me that i just didn't i didn't want to be out mm. and so we did everything what in year secret. are we talking about we're then? talking 92. yeah no, no no still i mean i i think people do not understand this i i i went into the public eye when i started doing tv in about 2006 and i was living with my my partner I remember thinking, oh, gosh, this is going to come out. What's this going to do, you know? How is this going to be seen? We're talking 2006, you know. And so what gay marriage has done for for us, what, you're a has-been now, aren't you? You know, I'm a has-been, so now yeah, I'm with the man yeah, again, yeah, you yeah, see. Yeah, so now yeah. I'm You've done bisexual, it. or now nobody knows how yeah. to treat me. Or all uh, the labels. Should we just stop <laughs> well, the labels? I was interested what you were saying about being part of the boys' club. Now, we talk a lot about alpha cultures in like getting to the top and obviously, yes, we need women at the top. That's very important. But also we have to accept that not everyone wants to get to the top. Mm-hmm. And so even the people that don't want to get to the top, we're, you know, those women are still having to conform mm-hmm. in that sort of. And I just I was sort of wanted to talk about that because you, you said, you know, you didn't take your career very seriously for years. So you sort of played the boys game but at a level that we haven't actually really addressed yet, I don't think, on the podcast, because we're always talking about get to the top, get to the top. So I thought that was interesting. And also, how do you go from not taking your career seriously to being CEO? Mm. Was there a sort of shortcut? You walked through Mm. the wrong door, right door, was there? How did that happen? (laughs) But the boys' club thing, see, that is interesting, because as I said, I was not ambitious. Mm. I just wanted to get on 
with everybody. So I always went to the pub with them. I went to the strip clubs with them mm. after business dinners. I went once on on a, on a guy's stag do. You know, I was treated by, by them as one of them. Yeah, one of the lads. And I didn't do it for career progression at all. I just wanted to fit in. And there is an element of that because, of course, you back to this this connection we have with people you've got to have some sort of connection haven't you mm. to have that you know that chemistry there's got to be something that you have in common yeah. otherwise you you can't really socialize and it just helps you all. better in the office mm. like but how did you but how, yeah, i get that connection but how did you feel when you were sitting in no doubt spearmint rhino at the top of tottenham court road I don't know. <laughs> at that time it seemed like fun yeah it genuinely seemed like fun it was only the next morning and i remember thinking Gosh, you know, and then and I would took um, there were t- two women, and I would, we remember talking the next day, saying, "How did we do that? Why did we do that?" And I did it several times as well. It wasn't just the once, but you always look back in in shock, and you thought, "Why did you do it?" But you sort of got carried away, I guess, in the moment, and your spirits were high. You just mm. it just yeah. felt clubby and comfortable, yeah, and fun. Do you think you'd have got to the top if you had children and had to take time off to have your children? I don't know. It's really difficult for me to answer because I, I, I haven't done it. I do know, though, people, and particularly when I worked in an environment which was very supportive of women, some women, five, six children, and were at the same level as me because, of course, the more senior you get, the more money you have to outsource everything and you can afford I was going to say, and they always have about five, six or seven, don't they? Yes. And they're always those ones that can do it all. <laughs> We need. Yeah, but Isn't of course they, like they, they outsource a lot. Super women, yeah. Yeah, of course they do. They outsource they everything. Do. But it's it's got to be a choice for everyone, hasn't it? And maybe if I'd chosen to have children, it would have limited me. I'm not sure. Do you have hope in the future for women in business? Do you think we're going to see a real change happening? Do you think this I is hope going to get better? I hope in my lifetime we'll see a real change. I hope by the time I'm close to my deathbed, we're not no longer talking about it. Yeah, because it's just the norm but we still have to keep pushing and I will still do everything I can to empower women in business and I will be outspoken if I need to be <laughs> and I will try and help as much as I can Thank you Inga Thank you Thank you, Thank you. Oh, Thank you so much Inga um, we definitely learnt a lot and I love what you were saying about that older ladies and the younger ladies coming together joining forces I thought that was brilliant <gasps> Oh, the older ladies. Oh, the little ladies. Oh, <laughs> oh the anyway. ladies. What age? <laughs> anyway, sorry if that was insulting. On no, to next so week. Older ladies, On to ladies. next week, we yeah. have Sharma Dean Reed joining us. Sharma Dean is the um, excellent entrepreneur. She was a founder of War Nails. She's gone on to set up Beauty Stack, a brilliant beauty tech platform. And she will be talking us through quite a lot of kind of honest and open and vulnerable stories about being a leader, how to navigate being a single mum, that kind of thing. Um, and if you've enjoyed this episode, please do get in touch with us. Um, we are on worklikeawoman at portasagency.com. Uh, you can use the hashtag work like a woman we're on instagram we're on twitter just wherever wherever you go really we're probably there right over to you mary can you give us a quote well yeah it's not a very long one but um, when i was writing work like a woman and um someone said to me have you read frederick Laloux's book reinventing organizations and i kind of wish i had because i'd have copied everything if i'm <laughs> honest i wouldn't have gone through the pain of six years of trying to restructure <laughs> and reculture our business and when it was all there but it was a wonderful wonderful book and i loved this line it was so true if so many workplaces seem lifeless it is perhaps because we bring so little life to work 
And I love that because one of the most important things with us is that we bring our authentic selves to work. And when you bring your authentic selves and you're free to be who you are, it's just wonderful because it becomes alive. And with that life, the business grows and the business grows upwards and outwards and sort of like a sunflower, it follows the sun. Did you like that, Emily? Love that. That last bit was me, by the way. No, I know. <laughs> See you next week. Bye for now.